You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is Winifred. Winifred, how are you? Okay, I think there's something wrong with the uh, the old uh, transatlantic line there. It's William here. I'm standing outside Apple Park, ready for the October event, which I'm sure is on any moment now. Victor, how are you in the studio? I'm fantastic. Can you see the drones flying overhead? A little bit. I wonder what that was. I thought Did it was they scare like a little you? fly past. Well, they're in formation, and I just find that pretty. Okay, drones that fly in formation are incredible, and, and something that MIT's been working on. Uh, but they're, they're not really made it to market yet. So I'd like to talk about things that also haven't made it to market. For example, for example, do we have an iPad Pro for 2019? Uh, depends when you ask and when I answer, because we it's, are kind of... We are recording you know. on Thursday, October what, 25th, I believe. 24th, 24th. Thursday, October 24th. Yes. Yeah. There is no so iPad knows? Pro 2019 yet, is there? Oh, wait a minute. Yes, there is. I could look brilliant tomorrow if they suddenly announce it. But yeah, okay. As of this recording, there's no iPad Pro for 2019. Right. Has there been an app day, update to Apple TV? Has there been an update? No, it's an update. Uh, well, I got tvOS 13. Yes, you week. have. Yes, you have. Yeah. But no new hardware, right? Uh, no. 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 Okay. So it's been two and a half years since Apple made the public apology for for no new Mac Pros and apologized profusely and said that they really did care about the Mac. Where's my Mac Pro? Can you buy one? They announced it. Can you buy one? Can you have well, you it can't on your desk? Buy the old one. The old hmm. one is off sale. Yeah, yeah, so, but can you can you get a new Mac Pro on your desk? I th I don't I can't really see a way around saying no. no. And yet, is I there is there an October event? Where is the MacBook Pro sixteen inch? Okay, let's cut to this. I we, anybody would think that Apple has their hands full with something else. I can't imagine what that would be as we head towards November the 1st and the launch of the you know billion-dollar service that they're about to put out. But there could be something there. I mean, they have their hands full with lots of things, including figuring out how to deal with all the bugs that are in iOS 13 or Catalina, for example. Okay, that's harsh, very harsh. Let me know when I stop being fair. Okay. The, the thing that I'm getting at is... There are a number of people. You you asked me before we started recording what was new and interesting that we could talk about, and so I'm I'm pulling this on you because I think there's been a lot of anticipation for an October event. We have yet to see one materialize, and here we are with five days left in October by the time this show publishes, and uh, there there's the likelihood has gone way down of there being an October event. The idea of a November event is also unlikely. Now you could release an iPad Pro and a Apple TV as just an announcement through the press, right? You could just go ahead and not have an event. The only reason why you'd want to do an updated Apple TV is if you had hardware that made it better for Apple Arcade somehow, or also, you know, wanted to use another or chance to get in front of your audience and talk about TV Plus, 
but they've already done that. They talked about TV Plus in the summer. They talked about TV Plus at the last event. So they don't necessarily need an event for this. MacBook Pros are probably significant enough of change going to 16s from 15-inch, going to rumored different keyboards either this year or next. You know, So that makes sense to have an event for. But if we don't have an event in October, it means we might not see a 2019 16-inch MacBook Pro. True. Um, Mike Worthery on Apple Insider was saying uh, the other day that, uh, as he sees it, Apple seems most keen to have events when they've actually changed the physical form factor, like the way last year's iPad Pros were quite substantially different than the ones before. Um, would the MacBook 16-inch one count, since really it's the 15-inch model with the bigger screen? I, 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 don't I think know. yes. Yeah. Okay. You see, I get what you're saying all this, but I, I am less concerned because I think these things are still coming. Uh, the ones I'm interested in, I'm still interested in. I just, uh, I don't have a problem with there not being an October event. So, you know. That's fine. I just know that there's a lot of interest in that. And so I wanted to bring it up. The, you don't the, doubt, though, that the Mac Pro will be available by the end of the year. At some point. Okay, I mean, you know, we always think it's going to be December Midnight, 30th. December 30th, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. The the thing that I mentioned briefly, you know, you said, that, does Apple have their hands full? Well, would you agree that iOS 13 has been sort of a rocky launch? Uh, yes, absolutely. and for reasons you pointed out before, the way it was split in such a, an unusual way between 13.0 and 13.1 and now 13 too. On balance, actually, I think it's all shaking out. I'm not having any particular problems, and I'm still enjoying iOS 13, but it, it does feel different to there, last there, year. Yes. Yeah, there, there are some wrinkles still there. And would you agree that Catalina's had some rough spots? Yes. Yeah, I'm not certain yet that it's rougher than Mojave is. I mean, there's the whole issue of the 32-bit app. So a friend told me he was p a pixel away from updating when he realized uh, that the particular version of Word and Excel that he had was so old, he'd have to replace them. Um, so I think people have been caught by that in unexpected ways. But yeah. otherwise, have you had Catalina problems? You haven't upgraded to Catalina, I think, the last time I asked you. That's, that's called Catalina Solutions. And I still okay. haven't updated because I am waiting patiently. I, uh, I I watched a conversation take place on Twitter the other day between former Apple engineers, and they were talking about bugs and and how you know if an Apple engineer breaks something that had been previously fixed, that's called a regression, and they're required to fix it. All right, but that within Apple, there are teams in the past that have printed up T-shirts with the slogan, that's not a regression. Therefore, it's okay. an old bug and they don't have to fix it. And and so there are old bugs hanging around that never get fixed because there's no incentive or requirement to fix them. Okay. You know, I and, and that I only recently heard the term regression, so I kept meaning right. to ask what right. it meant, and now I know. But yeah. nobody cares at Apple, you're saying. Well, Let I'm, it I'm saying that the incentives are probably wrong, that, that the... You know, the, the Apple engineers posited that it's going to take a, a uh, you know, sort of a, a slow cycle or something like they did with Snow Leopard where it was delayed in order to 
really address this. That instead of piling feature upon feature upon feature and how great it is, that there's going to have to be a release that simply cleans things up in order for it to come back together. And that leadership prioritization is is not placing the emphasis on fixing these bugs and, and going back and digging them up and addressing them. It's um, It's about moving forward, which obviously we want an Apple that moves forward, but at the same time, it, we're many, many years away from being able to say it just works. I do remember often using that argument for Apple stuff. Why you should use it, why not? And, and less and less, I feel, I can. But that that's not so much from bugs as from just the sheer complexity of so many features. Trying to explain to my mom how to use her iPad, for example. She's just got the hang of Siri and loves it. So yep. that's good. But it's taken a long time to... Well, explain who the nasty man that speaks to her when she pushes the button for too long is. Yeah. And, and of course, Siri is a man in the UK for you guys. For the rest of the world, it's, well, for at least much of the rest of the world, it is a woman's voice. Yeah. By default, uh, I actually changed mine to a woman because I'd heard Siri came out, what, six months? Well, some amount of time in the States earlier than here. So I kept hearing quotes and films of it. And so when it became a man here sort of woman, it just didn't sound like my Siri. So I changed it. You know how they got those voices, right? Uh, I'm going to go with no. No. So uh, Susan Bennett is a voice actor, and she recorded a number of voices for Nuance, the people that were behind Dragon Naturally Speaking, a number of words. And they, Apple ended up licensing those. And so they got Susan Bennett's voice by, by licensing those and, and, you know, basically purchasing that library of things. And that's how we got where we are. So presumably they did the same thing for the UK. They purchased um, a man's voice that had been saying all the same words, all the same phrases, and pulled it together the same way. And years later, they refined it so that they didn't need Susan Bennett's voice anymore. You know, she billed herself as being the voice of Siri, and then later she billed herself as being the original voice of Siri. Uh, They've gone to computational generation for speech, and so they no longer have a human as the background for those things. And I, for one, am sad about that, although I didn't know it until two minutes ago. Yeah. Two minutes ago? Two seconds ago. One of those, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, when you're grieving, time just moves on. Okay, how did we get onto Siri? Oh, the voices and things. Yes. Well, talking about features and and how the complexity makes it difficult for a new user to, to pick up a system like this. The... That's that's the difficulty is there's always been this sort of push and pull between satisfying what a power user needs and what a user's had a long time on a system needs with approachability for a new user. And of course, iOS has always been about approachability for a new user, but as iPadOS is growing into its own thing, it's becoming more complex. For example, features like drag and drop are, are really difficult for people on an yeah. iPad, um, especially those who haven't used them before on an iPad. And so, the the, compl- the 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 goal has to be being accessible for new users, and also providing the things that someone who wants to use it as their only computer will be able to use. And uh, you know, that's the kind yeah, of thing they got to keep in mind. Yeah. And and the Mac too. And I think those things don't prevent it from being it, it just works as much as the the unexpected behavior does. Yeah. 
So you just put me in mind of two simultaneous things. One is I am having an actual bug in this house, which is whenever I ask Siri to set an alarm, at least two devices say go on then and create it up. I mean, my home pod in my office has bionic ears. And wherever I am, it answers. Uh, but I don't have this the previously touted checking the devices to see which is the one you probably meant feature. Right. And that is annoying. But, oh, actually, while we're talking of annoying things, uh, that at least I feel like there's some sort of bug. Uh, if you use the Facebook app on iPhone. I don't use Facebook. Oh, that would explain a lot of things. Okay. Uh, Facebook app has a little setting in it for you to switch off the sounds. You know, the silly little bleeps it makes when you press things or enter things. And you can switch it off. There it is. It's a user setting. Every time they update the app, they undo that setting to put the sounds back on. And you're looking at this thinking, what else are they changing of my user preferences? Here's a word of advice on Facebook. Starting position, don't use Facebook. Secondary position is if you do need to use Facebook, and, and there are valid reasons, right? There are groups that gather that are on niche topics or, or topics that are, are very, very specific. And if that's the only place that group gathers and you need to be a part of that group, then by all means, be on Facebook. Use that group. But don't use the app. Yeah, and you're going to go in with that. I have to use it for certain works. Me... And I have to use the app because you can't use Siri shortcuts with Facebook on the web. It has to have the app. In order Let to me explain Part of no, it, I understand why. Part I just, of it, you can't solve the shortcuts problem. So, what's the difference? It's a choice I have to make, and it doesn't mean I should allow or be happy that Facebook decides to override my settings because it knows better. But William, they have a history of doing things that are not in favor of the user in their app. Sure, and you it's would not think just the settings. It's it's having been called to the carpet in front of Cook, having Zook called to the carpet in front of of Tim Cook because they were abusing GPS, because they were abusing the features that allow a device to be in the background for phone calling, because they were using the microphone to listen, because they've done all number of very, very, very objectionable bad things and that are put those violations of you, the user. astoundingly annoying bleeps. Oh, actually, I read an article, it's a really interesting article by a Facebook sound designer about the immense work they go to over this, and it was utterly riveting, unless you knew that actually it was nonsense because you couldn't switch it off if you disagreed. I actually yeah. tried reaching out to the designer, and for some reason, Facebook doesn't reply. I, a social media giant that doesn't reply over social media. Well, what mm. can you do? Yeah. Put the app on, hear the bleeps, you'll be with me. The rest of it, ah, sell my identity. Just and give if, me peace of If you're quiet. not willing and you don't need Facebook for business requirement, then consider using it through Safari. All right, and let's keep good moving. Good luck with that, shortcuts. Let's keep moving. So there are, of course, new betas. These are the fourth betas for iOS 13.2, iPadOS 13.2, tvOS 13.2, and the fifth, watchOS 6.1. This is a good thing. So like I said last time, there's there's a former Apple engineer who said that the, the first release is to get something out the door. The, sa- the first update, the point one, is to fix things that Apple already knew about. The point two is to fix things that Apple found and reported internally. The point three is is where they start fixing things that consumers reported and the point or outside developers reported. And point four is where things begin to get stable. So point two 
puts us well on the way to to beginning to fix things that Apple's noticed were wrong after they've launched. If that okay. that pattern holds true. And this is pretty good. There have been a few major changes here. There's the option to opt into a program to supply anonymized voice recordings of Siri requests for accuracy review. There's more emoji, new emoji, camera app changes, and the ability to delete apps via the home screen's 3D touch or, or haptic touch contextual menus. You know, formerly or currently, it's uh, you tap and you get a rearrange and, and one other option, but nowhere is delete. And so you have to tap rearrange and then delete. You're getting your delete menu back because why not? Have uh, we got Deep Fusion yet? I don't have an iPhone 11 Pro. That's so the, the camera update kind of change, I think, that we're talking about. Sure. Um, Apple and we strongly recommend that you don't install betas on your primary device. There could be data loss. There was during all of the beta program where, where there were iCloud changes. Those iCloud changes got rolled back. We expect to see those iCloud features return. And therefore, if you're running betas, you put yourself at risk of losing data, especially iCloud data. That's all that I have to say about that. Public service announcement by Victor. Okay. There you go. Yes. Well, you've had a couple so far this episode, right? We've had we've had don't use Facebook, and we've had don't use Facebook app, and now we've had this. I'm going to give yeah, you another. But I one. kind of ignored the Facebook app one, so we'll give you one and a half. Right. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers in 2019, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? I mean, there's expensive retail stores, there's inflated prices, there's there's hidden fees, there's fees that have names that don't necessarily make sense. You're being taken advantage of because they, they know you're going to pay. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, and then they pass those savings directly to you. It's, it's really cool. You know, right back in the early days of iPhone, you would plug an iPhone in and activate the phone through iTunes. You wouldn't have to go into an AT&T store or something like that, one of those guys, to be able to activate your phone. And you'd be captured there if you did. So Mint Mobile is doing the same kind of thing, but for the modern era. You simply take your phone, you get your SIM from them, and you activate your phone online. You sign up online, you activate online, you never have to talk to anyone. And it makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just $15 a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, and you don't have to pay for data that you're never going to use. You get plans that have 3 gigabytes a month, 8 gigabytes a month, or 12 gigabytes a month of 4G LTE data. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. It was so easy to get set up. I got the SIM card, I put it in my phone, and was activated in minutes. Um... The cool thing is you can adjust between those plans. So, you know, it's it's really easy to shift plans and not have to, to pay for something you're not using. And, and it was it was beautiful. I really liked it. So get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. That's mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. And I should say, those guys are really on the ball. They have got visual voicemail for iPhone working. And that is a meaningful thing. I should tell you that you know how meaningful it is if you're an AT&T customer in the U.S. Because there have been AT&T customers across the U.S. experiencing voicemail issues since the beginning of this month. And, of course, the company says they've identified the problem, but they aren't saying when a fix will arrive. 
That's AT&T are saying that they found it. Yeah, AT&T figured out that they have a problem. <laughs> right. They aren't saying when it's going to be fixed. And well, you, you don't want to spoil the surprise, okay? It's it's apparently happening for customers living in Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Indiana, Nevada, and North Carolina. And it's, it's specific to visual voicemail, or is it broader than that? And and Tennessee. Well, it's visual voicemail, but it's also voicemail for Android. It's it's both Android and iOS devices. Oh, so it sounds like it's voicemail at AT and T's end. Well, it's going wrong rather than the phones necessarily. Yeah, you know, it's not so the phones. It's AT and T's back end. So Android users get error messages, and iPhone users get difficulties with visual voicemail. Yeah. AT and T vaguely blames this on a software update that they pushed that was pushed out to some devices on an unknown date update. So they're trying to point at the finger at the at at some devices. Some devices doesn't say if it's iPhone or Android, although they're sort of pointing the finger at the phones by saying we're working with the device manufacturer to issue a patch to resolve this. Um, honestly, honestly, though, it's back end because if it's affecting both Android and iOS devices. It's not those devices yeah. and it's not an update. It's something that happened at AT&T. Okay, that makes the most sense, yes. but They aren't saying that, but... Uh, some service with the company, some service reps with the company, claim that the company traced the voicemail errors back to a vendor-server problem, which makes a lot more sense. And vendor-server means AT and T. It doesn't mean some third party in between. I well, I mean, AT and T doesn't well, make servers, but they buy in servers. Therefore, it's one of their vendors' servers. <gasps> It's not a server with one of those uh, Chinese spy uh, chip things that Bloomberg uncovered about a year ago and then failed to completely uncover and is now hoping we'll all forget. You killed me. Okay. You murdered me. Well, in that Why case, would you say that? Over. No. <laughs> wow, that'd be exciting. No. Okay. So basically, users have one of two choices, right? You can wait for AT&T's fix to arrive at some unknown future date or if you erase all of your voicemail history, you might be able to get the, the function working again. Oh, right. So there is a sort of kludgy workaround. Maybe. Okay. That's funny. If I don't really keep voicemails, well, maybe I do and I just don't even think about it. I keep all my texts for no apparent reason, but I wouldn't actually know where to go to wipe all my voicemails. Well, in, in visual voicemail, you can swipe across them or you can tap edit and then select them all one by one and then delete them that way. Oh, that's rushed to do that. That sounds like a good fun afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. In stock prices, Apple TV and iPhone 5G are said to drive Apple to $289 or more a share. This is a Morgan Stanley analyst, and and she's raised the price. This is Katie Hubert of Morgan Stanley raising the price target to $289, which is basically a, a 20% increase. Um, this is an interesting view. This is saying that, that revenue growth for services would be boosted by two points, and that the uh, and and that at an incremental three dollars per share to Apple's valuation, and and this is just assuming that one in ten users upgrade or subscribe by twenty twenty five to these services and get a five G phone, mm. 
right? The the bare view of this is that 68 million paid subscribers by 2025, providing less than a point of services annual growth and diluting services gross margins. The bull version of this is that there's 175 million paid subscribers and adds 2.4 points of growth until 2023. So Morgan Stanley is trying to answer the question, how much upside can Apple TV Plus drive to services estimates? Their answer thinks that it's like a $9 billion revenue business by 2025, kind of in line with the penetration for Apple Music. So you, you get Apple TV Plus for free, right? If you purchase an iPhone or something like that. So the other question is, uh, how many customers are expected to redeem that offer? And mm-hmm. how many customers are going to continue the service after that? Um uh, it's, it's an interesting problem to think about, right? The last question is, is whether or not Apple TV Plus is diluting overall estimates or, or accreting to them. And basically, they, they note that Apple claims the service won't have a material impact on financial results. Morgan Stanley agrees with this. The incremental revenue from it won't be enough to offset the hardware deferral. But they've they've raised their price target from two forty seven to two eighty nine, reflecting this TV Plus ramp up and peak iPhone replacement cycle. So they think basically that TV Plus is going to add some users, but it's not going to make a huge impact. But that five G iPhones are okay. I'm still curious to know what happens uh, next year with Apple TV Plus. Whether they will repeat the year free offer when you buy those iPhones and that things, is- and then how it all. That's a very good question, you know, and we, we see this kind of thing happening, right? These are, this is called the zero rating of a service, basically, because you're, you're zeroing out the cost to the consumer. And T-Mobile's been doing zero rating for some time. They do it for Netflix, for example. Uh, Verizon just got the exclusive zero rating option to, to distribute to Disney Plus. So they get to go ahead and Verizon gets to give Disney Plus for free for a year to all of the Verizon customers. And they're doing it for all those cellular customers, and they're doing it for new fiber customers. And so Apple's going to do this. Now, Netflix has done this kind of thing where they keep it going year after year. Verizon has a, a thing where they've done Apple Music for free. And for my unlimited account, they've done Apple Music for free for six months, and now they're starting to charge for it. And for people who have a different unlimited plan account with Verizon, because why not make things confusing? Those people continue to get Apple Music for free and probably will year on year. Okay. So, so whether or not Apple goes forward with it is going to be an interesting one to see. It's entirely possible. If you keep buying an iPhone every year, why wouldn't they want to give you TV Plus every year? You think Apple would like us to buy a new iPhone every year? That seems... Predictable, yes. Mm. <laughs> you don't think they'd like us to buy a new iPhone every year or a new Apple TV every year or a new, new something every year? No, I think Apple is, is really driven by social conscience and a, a direct awareness of my bank balance. Um, I, I, I see that as their motivating uh, force. You, you just looking at me now. I am. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll take a moment and talk to you about Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. 
and and it really is simple shopping. You know, I uh, I went to the site, I created an account, and I just started browsing things and adding to the cart as I went. And it was as easy as you'd expect online shopping to be. And and really, it was it was simple from the beginning of putting product in the cart all the way through checkout. It was quite fast, quite easy, and product arrived really quickly. And I've gone ahead and and replaced pretty much every t-shirt that I own with a Mack Weldon t-shirt because they're so comfortable. They, they pretty much will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, or sweatpants that you would ever wear. And they have this line of silver shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which, which means they sort of eliminate odor because they have these silver threads woven within the cotton. They want you to be comfortable and, and so they have this really cool return policy where if you don't like your, say, first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they will still refund you, no questions asked. Um, and for anything else, they have a, a very generous, if you haven't worn it or haven't washed it, um, you can go ahead and return it policy. For example, I got a, a sweatshirt and I'm kind of particular. The, the cuffs on the sweatshirt felt too tight on my wrists and I wasn't really comfortable wearing it. And I went ahead and returned it and they had no problem at all. It's it's great. You know, not only do they they look good and they perform well, they're they're great for working out or going to work or just everyday life. And so, like I said, I got the uh, the V-neck cotton shirts and they they're really really comfortable. The cotton is smooth, it's 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 breathable. It's so so comfortable and I just love it. I've been wearing them every day. For 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com. And enter the promo code Apple Insider, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. William, so you use this Apple is what Pay. You're getting. Oh yes, extensive. Wait, wait, no. Yes. Go ahead and ask your question. Well, is this what you're buying when since you have to wait for your new MacBook and your new Mac Pro? You know, I there there are, I go through these periods where I want to revamp my whole wardrobe. And so, you know, like like our other sponsor in the past, Taylor Store, made it really easy to do that. Going out and shopping for clothing is kind of uh, annoying to me. I'd much rather be doing other things. So doing it from the comfort of my phone or laptop is fantastic. And I love that they make these experiences so easy. I really do. Oh, I agree with that. Absolutely. I'm just conscious of the fact that I put off a clothes shopping to the last second. But then when I actually do go into a store for the smallest thing, I end up coming out with a whole new outfit. Uh, so it's a very expensive habit. Uh, being able to just pick the thing you actually need yeah. is uh, also a benefit. Yeah. yeah, but at least you come out looking like a dandy. Okay, just running that through the US-UK translator, <laughs> making sure we're all agreed. Okay, I'm thinking John Pertwee's Doctor Who. I'll cope with that. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's, that's well, yeah. the, the uh, American dictionary here says that that's a, per, a man unduly devoted to style, neatness, and fashion, and dress, and appearance. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> I okay. thought you might agree. Thank goodness this is audio. Okay, yes. It's, it's, it's obviously a late 17th century kind of word, but there we go. Mm. Just running through the insult generator there. Have I just been told I'm old? Yes, okay. But Apple You were pay. about to say something else. Apple I was. Pay. I was about to Love talk about Apple my pay. favorite Apple Pay. Your favorite Apple Pay? I have been championing Apple Pay on this show for years 
People, people have told me that I was nuts to care about Apple Pay. People have said that Apple Pay is not the dominant thing, that Apple Pay is not going to become the dominant thing, and that I should just stop talking about Apple Pay. Those people, I'm here to tell you, are as mistaken today as I thought they were then. And I'll tell you why. Are you ready for this? Well, given I use Apple Pay pretty much daily, uh, I guess I'm bracing myself. I'm okay. ready. Hit so, me. Apple Pay has grown so much that it is overtaking Starbucks mobile app for payments for the first time. Basically, loads and loads and loads and loads of people use Starbucks app, and they pay for things at, of course, Starbucks, right? Starbucks used to be first in place in 2018 with 23.4 million users. In, in 2019, it rose to 25.2 million. So they've got a representation of like 39.4% of the of mobile users using that for mobile okay. payment to buy coffee and okay. sandwiches and breakfast stuffs and you know they they oh, sell really? juice they sell tea well there you go yeah google pay rose from 11.1 million in 2018 to 12.2 million in 2019 samsung pay 9.9 million to 10.8 million so google pay and samsung pay are kind of neck and neck by adoption apple pay by the end of 2019, approximately 30.3 million people are Apple Pay users. That's 47.3% of proximity mobile payment users. Okay. So 30.3 is more than 25.2. So Apple Pay has outpaced Starbucks by 25 million. Okay, but it's very close. Uh, otherwise, yes. Outpaced by 5 million people. And uh, 5 million is not bad. And and representing 47% of all proximity mobile pay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm conflicted because it's also it's a very impressive number. I just I don't understand uh, how different America is. This whole well, thing. Let me, of, let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. For years and years and years we primarily used the magnetic stripe to swipe for payment. Ah, this would be why America has the greatest amount of credit card let fraud me, in the world. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more. Also decades ago, we pioneered near-field communications with uh, use at McDonald's and Exxon gas stations, petrol pumps. And that was called Exxon SpeedPay. And... What happened was that those early, early experimentations with near-field payment weren't secured very well. And so there were a number of, of news stories about how the world was on fire because people could use a reader and walk past your, your pants pocket and scan your payment and then steal your payment. Obviously, you know, 20, 25 years ago when those things were going on, it, it wasn't nearly as advanced or nearly as secured as it is today, where, of course, Apple Pay uses the secure element in iPhone. So we've, we've gone to these transactions being much more secured. What happened in the U.S. was that Target, we, we had a number of really bad um, breaches where people's credit card information was stolen. And the worst one was at Target. That was the tipping point that pretty much pushed us over the edge to having uh, chips on the credit cards, on the physical card. But we didn't go to chip and pin as you guys have. We went to chip and signature. Okay. Don't ask why. 
Okay. Okay. And NFC came as a part of that shift. Now, not every terminal that was sold in the U.S. for for point of sale had NFC turned on or near-field communications turned on for Apple Pay. Many of them shipped with it capable, but it was up to the retailer to decide if they wanted to have that or not. And each point-of-sale system is slightly different for in terms of entering the transaction and doing that. For example, if you had a transaction and they had not yet completely entered the total and were ready for your payment, you could swipe anyway and it would go ahead and take the payment. Or you could insert the card and it would go ahead and start doing the payment. But if you wanted to do the near-field communications, they had to do an additional step of entering in the mount and pressing the OK button. And then you could go ahead and, and tap to pay. So okay, there's been some wrinkles but... along the way where there were retailers that didn't have things configured at all for tap to pay, intentionally not enabled. There were some point of sale systems where Verifone, for example, showed, sold the same point of sale system and card reader to large numbers of retailers with the same external plastics, but inside literally didn't provision, didn't even put in the NFC chip. So some of them just look like every other one that is capable, but in fact, theirs are not. And so it's hit or miss at retailers, and you don't know until you get there. And other ones like Target, for example, just recently enabled NFC payments. So you can do Apple Pay in Target, but for a year or so, they hadn't. Why would I not elect to allow a way of people giving me money? Well, so it, it depends. Some of them don't trust the near-field communications Apple Pay. It's wireless. They don't trust it. They want to have the physical card in, in the reader. So they're protecting themselves from liability because they feel like they're doing the only thing they can trust. Uh, for Target, for a long time, they really wanted to push people to using their, their Target Red Card service which is you sign up for a debit or credit card through them and use their store card. Now, that store card you, works either with the Target wallet app. You can scan the, the barcode there to pay, or you can insert that into their machines. They don't have that set up with Apple Pay. Okay. Um, because they can't? or Because Apple... it's a giant mess and they don't really want to. Yeah. yeah, you can see the point. All right. Walmart similarly does not do tap to pay walmart does a thing called walmart pay where they put up a qr code on the, the terminal and you use your iphone to take a picture of that qr code it communicates to the terminal and pays that way <laughs> okay right i'm not kidding i just i compare it to here where i haven't had to think about this at all since apple pay existed i just do it gone and who cares um it amazes me that it's so complicated in the States. I mean, mind you, look at what Britain's getting wrong at the moment. Who can criticise another country for anything? But still, I don't envy you uh, not knowing whether or not it's going to work when you go somewhere. Yeah, you pretty much That's find it. out when you arrive. Okay. There are times I don't bother going out with any cards or cash because I've got my watch. Yeah. And we'll do it. I could be in trouble. You there. could be because, you know, the Financial Times ran a piece back on October 10th about how a person was using their iPhone to purchase the bus ticket in the UK and the phone ran out of battery after they'd purchased the ticket. And so they were asked to pro provide evidence of the ticket. They got a 476 pound fine and a conviction. Yeah, I heard about that. I was, I, I was, 
troubled it took, by the amount. It uh, took ages to get that reversed, but they had the conviction, which actually made it difficult for them to travel. They were supposed to come to the U.S., and they were denied permission to come to the U.S. because they were convicted of not paying for a bus ticket. Hmm. The other thing, uh, I think there's uh, an attitude here that it's not my fault my battery has run out. Whereas there's no real difference between you not having the ticket that way and you having lost the ticket. You need to take care of your ticket. You need to take care of the ticket, whether it's in your phone or not. I, I've had the opposite. Yeah, but I've even... actually left a place because my battery was running out and I used it as an excuse to run. But, you know, it's my choice to use a device that has a battery in it. Um, I, I, but I worry about this because there's a push within Apple to use the iPhone as proof of identity for driver's licenses and for passports. And, you know, this this can obviously present real problems. And you think, well, the battery runs out, I'll be able to plug it back in or charge up and, and then display my passport. But a person over a simple, you know, few pound bus ticket now has a 476 pound fine and for a while had a criminal conviction before they got it reversed and was denied entry to, you know, was denied the ability to travel because they were a convict over a bus ticket. There are real impacts, and this this push, I think, is probably not prepared for all of the vagaries of bureaucracy. If you buy a bus ticket over Apple Pay in the UK, you are immediately emailed a receipt from it. Yeah, so and if the, the phone runs down, company, then you can't display that receipt. Yeah, but an email gets sent from someone as well as received. The bus company should have been able to look up their records to do it and clearly they couldn't and i agree that's the problem but it, i think that'll become less of an issue for it well I, I think what will end up happening is that it will become less of an issue after more people suffer it will take a lot more it will take more people having this problem in the financial times covering it again and again for it to get solved yeah i should really look into that figure though the 400 odd quid for a two pound 40 bus fair fine yeah i don't doubt usually that. the fines are around 50 uh for things like this so yeah but we'll see i believe you on the bureaucracy side particularly in this country yes i mean we know that apple's been working on that they've they've been filing patents for this you know they they the patent has even a workflow that says the, the police officer commences a traffic stop, the officer obtains the license plate, um, a comms request is sent, the driver's device receives the request and determines the request is applicable, sends an acknowledgement message, the device then displays the license to the, the officer. You know, there's a whole handshaking thing that they've patented for identity credential verification techniques. Wasn't there a thing in the Blues Brothers where Jake and Elwood were pulled over and the police computer told them to be arrested on site for the endless traffic violations. Who needs iPhones when you could have done it in the 70s or 80s or whenever that film was? Late 70s, yeah. And you you could, except that there, you know, Jake and Elwood weren't really concerned with the validity of their own identification, right? Well, and I think the perhaps police, on a metaphysical level they were, but okay. I mean, yes. the police were, were the, the Illinois State Police in that movie were mostly concerned with apprehending them as opposed to um, verifying that their their identity was legit, because movies, yes, right? Movies are not exactly reality. Um, reality's getting weirder. Yeah, I was actually hesitating there over whether to say who can tell the difference anymore. Yeah, but there we go. 
CNN plans to compete with Apple News, if you can believe it. Yeah, a news outlet competing with a new news outlet. Yes, actually, I kind of like well, that. Um, CNN was very disruptive in its day. It's responsible well, for a lot of change. In let me explain the news. differences, though. So, okay, between what and what there? Let's just Apple check. News Plus. Yes, does not actually write their own content. No, they don't produce any content, do they? Uh, not to my knowledge. No, yeah. certainly not at the moment. So they they are a neutral distribution outlet that has worked with many providers of news, providers of content to get them in and bundle it together, aggregate it, right? One hopes neutral. Yes, that's the aim. Yes. Well, neutral in that they aren't competing directly with those news organizations. Well, they by are creating they content. Yeah, uh, okay, not for creating content. Yes, I agree with yeah. that. Okay. CNN creates content and is attempting to start its own news aggregation service similar to Apple News and Apple News Plus. They're doing this because they want to compete with Facebook. They're going to call it NewsCo and they are using, you know, they've they've got uh, former Spotify engineer Andrew Green who created the Spotify stations. They are trying to get competing news services to work with them. Now, they're not alone at this kind of strategy. Uh, News Corp has their own, and I'm in a, I'm, uh, I can't believe they named it this. It's called News, K-N-E-W-Z, or Z, <laughs> if you will, dot com. They launched this aggregator earlier this year, and they're also intended to collate content for reader consumption in one place. Snap, people behind Snapchat, they're also looking to launching a news element in their app, and they've been talking to news companies over this. Amazon is is trying to do this. They've got a news aggregation app for Fire TV and uh, their own Kindle Fire tablets. So it's I, I would have first thought that CNN is going to have trouble getting other publishers to join them just because they're, they're rivals, but I think the the question is: Do they do they dislike CNN as a rival more, or do they dislike technology companies more and are willing to to partner with CNN to be a bulwark against technology firms working in this field? Or is every news generating organization just going to go on every service to see which one works? Also possible. But but there's a very real possibility that they just don't want to cede any more ground to streaming platforms. They don't want to cede any more ground to uh, to to Facebook News. Oh sure, I mean you put yourself in the hands of another organization. I mean, yeah, it can be terrible. But Apple is another organization. Apple could make choices to diminish returns from it. I'm not saying they would or they have, but of course they could. Yeah. So who is who is actually better? Uncertain, uncertain. All right. Well, that's all the time we have, William. Where can people find you on the internet? What was that thing I was saying at the start about? I'm outside Apple Park waiting for an October event slash November event. And in the meantime, I'm on Twitter as W Gallagher. Or um, it's getting quite cold here now, late in the year. You could email and warm me up on william at appleinsider.com. Are you going to join me out here? Well, no, because you're dressed like a dandy. But I'm Victor, I'm VMarks on Twitter, and Victor at AppleInsider.com. And I'm so glad all of you are here listening with us this week. We will be back next week with more. And if there's a new MacBook Pro, we will tell you all about it then. Goodbye, everybody. 